0: Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, please give us open and receptive hearts and minds to learn and to grow, to be challenged, and to be encouraged, that we might become more like our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. would like to begin this morning with a gift. I made something for you. Spent some time yesterday. And I made chocolate chip cookies. And we're going to eat them in church. Go ahead and take them and just take one, pass it back, share. I think there's enough. Um, if there's not, just ask the person next to you to share theirs. But I wanted to do something nice for you, and just in case you're bored by my sermon, you at least got a cookie. Maybe that'll, that'll make you feel better. But I, I did this, one, because I just like you all, but two, yeah? Did you really make I did. Ask my wife. Aaron. I did make them. Oh, Erin is grabbing oh, something, yeah? Okay. I, I, I use that, so she's not here to, you know, tell you otherwise. <laughs> And Bill, yeah, Bill's going, yeah, these are good. Good. All right. You are welcome. So that, that right there is actually part of the reason I did this. Not because I want your thanks, but because I want you to feel what it's like to be thankful. I want you to feel what it's like to, and, and, and the fact that you found out I made them and didn't buy them... You're probably even looking up at me and thinking, oh, what a nice guy. That's really, you know, I want you to feel that because, yes, I'm and I think the they do not have peanuts. No peanuts. Now, I don't know if what I prepared them on had peanut dust, I, but there's no peanuts in them. <laughs> um, we are beginning a series in First Peter, which is the epistle for Easter season. And it's a very appropriate epistle, because Peter, the Apostle Peter, the one who first said, you are the Christ, but also the one who said, I will never deny you, and then publicly said, I do not know the man, and the one, if we read further in the Gospel of John, you will see that Jesus comes to him to restore him. So this apostle wrote an epistle, and that's where we're starting. But his first line, I want to read this first line, Um, if you want to follow along, you can, although um, I am in a moment going to put lyrics, or put lyrics, I'm going to put the scripture up here on the, on the screen for this morning. Um, but I want to read verse 3, just part of it, because this is how he starts, and this is why I gave you cookies. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word praise is sometimes translated blessed. The idea is this, he Is worthy. It's not a command like go praise him. It's a statement of fact. God the Father is worthy. Now, what he's worthy for, he will say later on in this case, there's lots of reasons why he's worthy, but in this case, he is worthy because he gave us salvation. But here's the problem and why I think Peter does what he does. All right, I just gave you cookies. You were thankful for that. You were more thankful when you found out that I made them. Let me tell you a little bit about the cookie. Um, I went and bought the flour, the baking soda, the baking powder, and the salt. I measured them by grams because I don't use scoops. I measure it all out by weights. Stirred that all up. Before that, I had taken five sticks of butter and put them on the counter to get them to room temperature because they blend better, along with five eggs also on the kitchen counter to get to room temperature because they blend better. Then I blended those things, I don't know, for like 10 minutes because there was so much of it there. took my entire blender to do it. Added in the eggs, added in the vanilla, added in the brown sugar and the white sugar. Then I hand-scooped all of those. Does this impress you a little bit more? Because I broke down what that cookie is. That's what Peter does with salvation. Instead of just saying, God saved you. And we know that. But I think it's easy to take that for granted sometimes. He spends the next two verses, and that's all we're doing today, two verses. He spends the next two verses giving you the ingredients of salvation. Giving you the breakdown of what God did. Much like I just did with those cookies. So that... Your appreciation for what he did could grow. Does that make sense? That's what I want to do. So go ahead and put those up, that passage up. Go one and then one more, right there. All right, these are the next two verses, part of verse three still. Um, and this is what we want to cover. I want to give you the ingredients as he breaks down why God is so worthy. All right? Number one, in his great Mercy, that's the first part, mercy. Now, mercy is defined in Greek as this, noticing a need and acting to alleviate that need. Right? So let me give you an example. The other day, my daughter and I had gone to Hy-Vee, and we had loaded maybe a bit much into our grocery bags, maybe just a bit, Um, like they were bulging. And, and we grabbed all of our bags, and we were walking out, and we're walking across that area where the cars go to get to the parking lot where our van is at. And halfway through, one of the bags opens up. And you would have thought it was like a magic bag. So many things fell out of that. There was no way that many things could have gotten into there in the first place. But stuff is bouncing all over the asphalt, and we have our hands full. So we are reaching down and we're trying to grab those without dropping other things and we're snuggling to our bodies and everything else and we're dropping more. And here's the thing I noticed. Lots of people walked right by us as we're in the middle of the street trying to pick up our groceries. A few, I think, noticed but never stopped. One person, one person walked up to us and said, do you need some help? And started bending down to help. That's mercy. It's when you notice a need and you act to alleviate the need. Right? God did that. Now, it raises this question, why did we need mercy? What was our need? And I want to simplify this, all right? but I want you to hear this because I think it's really important to understand his mercy. Just about every religion, spirituality, everything else in the world shares a few common traits. Number one, there's more to life than the physical. In whatever way you define it, there's something else beyond the natural. Number two, there's something for us beyond the natural. You might call it heaven, eternal life, nirvana, paradise, whatever you want to call it, but there's something. And number three, which sits at the heart of religion. We're not quite good enough to get there, So we need to do something to get there. And every religion, every spirituality, it has its rules and its regulations and its ladders and whatever it is that is supposed to get us to the point where we can then receive that other thing. I think there's two problems with that. I'm biased because I believe the scriptures. One of them is found in Romans 7, and I think you'll relate to this. I just want to read it to you. Tell me if you've had this experience. Here's what Paul says. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I do not do, but what I, but what I sorry, um, I really should have brought my glasses for this part. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself that does not dwell in me, but it's my sinful nature. For I desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Anyone relate to that? Like you want to be better. And in some ways you do. You do some better things. You grow in this area or that area. And yet you keep coming back to either a sin you can't get rid of. Or an attitude you can't get rid of. That's the first problem with us trying to get to that whatever it is. We just can't get good enough. And the second problem is related to it. It goes like this. Sometimes we start doing better. We start feeling better. We start doing some good things. And then how do we end up making ourselves feel the best? We compare ourselves to other people who aren't doing as well in those areas. I can feel very good about myself by going, I don't get nearly as angry at things as Dana does. I mean, I must be doing well. You know, I could say I'm not nearly as mean as Patty is to people. I mean, she just rages, you know? (laughs) But see, as long as I'm comparing, I start looking pretty good. Did you guys know I'm a phenomenal baseball player? I bet you didn't know that. I am awesome at baseball. The last time I played baseball, I was the only one who hit the ball almost every time. Not only that, I hit it over the fence, like multiple times. Now, it kind of got my 11-year-old and my 9-year-old upset, but I killed them in baseball. They couldn't hardly hit the ball. Boy, does that make me feel good about being a baseball player. But that's what we do. If you want to know what the real comparison is and the reason we need mercy, it would be like me comparing myself to a major league baseball player. Or, in my case, a college player or maybe even somebody in high school. It doesn't really matter. I'm not very good at baseball. I can hit a you know, plastic ball pretty well, but that's about it. You need, I need the mercy of God. So the first thing he does is he gives us his mercy. To do what? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Notice it's not he gave us a membership card to get into this place. You know, one that you got to carry around with you that might expire, you might lose it or something. He didn't open a door... And say, you can go in, even though that door could close. Or he gave us new birth. He brought us into his family. That is part of salvation. God's saying, not just, I want you to be with me. I'm going to make you part of my family. A new birth. A new start. Number three. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living Hope, Oh, go back, into a living hope. Notice the description of hope. We all know what hope is, or at least what we hope hope is. Because we will say things like, I hope this happens. I hope I get that job. I hope the results come back well. But that kind of hope, it is not a living hope. That is a hope that is based on stuff we can't control. Right? Think of it like this. It's been raining a lot, anyone notice? It's supposed to keep raining. If you get an umbrella and you walk outside and you use your umbrella to try to make it stop raining, like you hope that having the umbrella will make it stop raining, it won't, right? But that is what most of our hope is like. The hope he's talking about, this living hope, this active, real, energetic hope. It's dynamic. It is the hope of opening up the umbrella and putting it over your head, and then hoping to not get super wet. Will you get super wet? Most likely not, right? That's the hope we have that He's given us. It is a hope that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's an interesting connection. He He, is, according to our Easter message, alive, right? Hallelujah. Christ is risen. That's our hope. It is living as He is living. He gave us that too. And He gave us an inheritance an inheritance. Notice, not a prize, not a ribbon, not a reward, an inheritance. Why? Because what are we based on our new birth? Family. So what we have waiting for us is an inheritance. We have something that comes because we belong to him. Something that he says can never perish, spoil, or fade. He goes out of his way to lump up these adjectives to try to express something. That inheritance, so I don't know about you, but I don't know much in life that doesn't degrade in value over time. Anyone lost money in the stock market? I know it's a terrible topic to bring up because it hits everybody. There's so many things in life that we're constantly losing value. You might look at your own life and think, there's some decisions I wish I wouldn't have made. I feel like I've lost parts of my life. I wish I wasn't in this situation. Those are the things we're good at. Here's the things it's hard to understand. Something that will never perish. It will never spoil. It will not fade no matter how much time goes along. The inheritance you have, you will get. That's what he offers. And I know that's tough to understand. But there are certain things that gain value over time, right? Did you know that unopened VHS tapes gain value? There are some people in this room who probably don't know what a VHS tape is because they've been long gone before they were born. But these VHS tapes, in 2022, a guy named Jay Carlson began working for the Heritage Auction Center in Dallas-Fort Worth. He had been collecting VHS tapes and he was so good at it they put him in charge of an auction. Let me give you a couple of examples. Somebody sold a Raiders of the Lost Ark VHS tape, factory sealed, for $20,000. Someone sold a collection, it was Rocky 1, Rocky 2 and Rocky 3, $53,000 three VHS tapes. This person said, I spent $10 per one when I got them. (laughs) $53,000. Now, that auction that he ran, he brought in a half million dollars. (laughs) It's insane. But one person had a different story. There was somebody who wanted to auction off an original factory-sealed Ghostbusters 1 VHS tape. And before they could auction it off, their young child got a hold of it. And all of you know (laughs) the value that was just lost because that is all it takes for most things in life. And it kind of makes it hard for us to understand An inheritance, it cannot perish, it cannot spoil, it cannot fade. That's what he's offered us in salvation. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Here's the last thing of salvation. Shielded. Shielded by God's power. That word is describing a watchman over a city. It's a word that can describe a shepherd watching over a flock. Right? Shielded here is not a term. When we say God is watching over you, it's not like God is watching to figure out what you do wrong. Point the finger. He is not the creepy Santa Claus that keeps his list and checks it twice to see if you were a good little boy, a good little girl. It's not that at all. He watches over his people All the time. Now, in this passage, the primary thing is to say this. He watches over you until you get that inheritance. Until the time it is for you to go, he is watching over you. And that way you will get the inheritance. Now, here's the question that may raise if we are being honest. Has God ever not done, I'm getting a phone call, Too many electronics. Has God ever not done something you thought he should have done? Have you ever had bad things happen in your life that you still don't have answers for? And you may raise this question, is God really watching over me all the time? Because it doesn't always seem that way. And you know what? Next week, in the very next verse, Peter starts to address that. Because scripture knows there are trials and tribulations and things we go through in this life. And that's what we'll start on next week. But I want to leave this image with you. Go back to the umbrella for a moment. If that umbrella is over the top of you and you walk out into the rain, will you get wet? Yes, right? Shoes, Um, maybe you'll hit a puddle, it may splash up your leg a little bit. The wind comes up, you might get a little bit... How wet would you get if you moved the umbrella? I think that's an image of God watching over his children. The things that God is doing in our lives that he isn't always saying, hey, here's my playbook. Here's every little thing I protected you from, every little work I did in your life. But there is a trust that in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into his family. He has given us a living hope He's given us an inheritance, and now he's watching over us until we get to that point. All of that is the salvation that Peter wants us to see, that he wants us to go, God did all of that. He is so worthy. But I think he also wants you to see. Go ahead and go to the next slide. If you pile all of this up, I can't help but wonder, did God really have to do all of this? I mean, to save us. I feel like God went overboard. This is what I feel like God did. So you guys got a cookie, right? All right. But I made more cookies than that. I'm not done. I made more cookies than that. I am still not done. I made more cookies than that. I spent about five hours making 12 dozen cookies yesterday. God did so much more than that for our salvation. But what you're feeling right now when you're like, wow, he went overboard. I can't believe he did all of that. God did so much more than that in our salvation. But I want you to feel that. I want you to look at what he's done And recognize that each one of these things is true for you when you trust in Christ. And that is why Peter says, praise be to God. Because Peter gets that. God made us 12 dozen cookies (laughs) for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everything that you've done in salvation. Thank you for the mercy that started it, the new birth into your family, the living hope we have, the inheritance, and the fact that you are still always watching over us. Lord, please let those truths sink in so that we understand how much you love us and how much you've given because of that love that we might honor you with our lives. And this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.